Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Oh, hello, world. It is wonderful to not hear or see you currently. That sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) That sounded terrible. Hi, everybody. It's great to see you. I'm still going to leave that in. Yeah, as you should. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some Dark Poutine. Scarf, scarf. Very yummy. Mm. Oh, yeah. saw uh, that Instagram story somebody sent them like they were having an Nanaimo bar yeah oh yeah I, ever since I saw that I'm like oh fuck I'm craving it yeah it looked, <laughs> it looked really good uh, listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the crisis text line in Canada by texting home to 686868 in the US or UK text 741741 you'll be matched with a volunteer counselor who is supervised by a licensed trained mental health professional Crisis Text Line is free, 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, please go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or <gasps> crisistextline.org globally. Let's get on with the show. Let's do that. Sharon Pryor was a happy 16-year-old high school student. She disappeared on Saturday, March 29, 1975 from the Montreal neighborhood of Point St. Charles where she lived with her family. She said goodbye to her mother, left her house, and walked off to meet friends at a pizza joint only five blocks away. That was the last time Sharon was seen alive. God, that's so close. Five blocks. That's not far. Not at all. Jeez. Three days later, on April Fool's Day, Sharon Pryor's battered body was found in a field in the suburb of Longale, which was across the St. Lawrence River from her home. She had been raped and murdered. Her death remains unsolved. Oh, Jesus. This is episode 130, Who Killed Sharon Pryor? Unsolved ones, oh boy. Much of the information I was able to gather about Sharon Pryor's early life comes from a few sources, one of which is a beautifully written article by true crime author Michelle McNamara. Okay. 
Michelle, uh, yes. as many of you know, wrote the book about the Golden State Killer called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Yeah, she she passed away uh, near completion of the book. That's right, in yeah. 2016. Her post about Sharon, with information provided to her by the Pryor family, fleshes out Sharon's story. Mm. It also talks about the day she disappeared and the aftermath. We'll link to Michelle's post and other sources in our show notes. Sharon's case is also covered in the seventh episode of a 2019 French-language TV program called Sur les Tracés d'une Tour en Série, or On the Tracks of a Serial Killer, which is much easier for me to say. <laughs> it's much easier for me to hear. Right. I had to translate that. <laughs> in that show, Sharon's family and friends describe what she was like and talk about their experience at the time of her murder and their feelings since. It's well worth a look if you subscribe to the streaming service Crave here in Canada. Oh. If you are as rusty with French as I am, don't worry. Sharon's loved ones give their interviews en anglais, but the rest of the show is in French. There are no English subtitles, which in my opinion is a faux pas, as the series would definitely cross over well to English audiences. It is my initial thought, just as you mentioned, oh my god, that's on Crave, I would like to go watch that, but then no my English French subtitles. is so terrible. Yeah. Ugh. But can it get you will close captioning? No, that's what I'm saying. There's no subtitles. The closed captions are French. Oh, dear Jesus. Yeah, that's not good. Or, yeah. Said the merde. Mon Dieu. News reports on this case are spotty, as not a lot of outlets seem to have their stories from around that era archived online. Newspapers.com has a few, but not a lot. Allo Police, a French-language publication, for example, covered the case extensively in their April 1975 issue. However, there is a large gap in their online archives mm -hmm. at that time, including that specific issue, which perhaps, given the information that was contained in it, might have jarred someone's memory. So, that, yeah, that, that could have been very... Uh, get with it, allo police. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, goodbye, police. <laughs> exactly. Sharon's mother, Yvonne, was born in England and emigrated to Montreal as a little girl. Yvonne met George Pryor when he was a private in the Canadian Armed Forces. The two fell in love and married. They were over the moon when their first daughter, Sharon Kim Pryor, was born on February 9, 1959. In the Crave TV show, Sharon's identical twin sisters can be seen standing in a doorway of the family home reminiscing about their sister. Mm. They told a sweet story about Sharon's reaction to their birth, which was the day before her second birthday. Apparently, fun-loving little Sharon believed that Maureen and Doreen were her very own birthday present. Oh my God, that is so sweet. Yeah, right? Oh, so sweet. As with most military families, George Pryor received a transfer, and this was to Manitoba, and away from Yvonne's beloved Point St. Charles, the Montreal neighborhood where she grew up. Mm. The locals called that area simply The Point, and it's one of the oldest neighborhoods in the city. George Jr., the youngest of the prior children, was born in Manitoba. They nicknamed him Jojo, and Sharon had another sibling to dote on. Hmm. Jojo. Jojo. There were already cracks in the marriage, and in 1966, Yvonne and George separated, and Yvonne moved back to the point with her four young children hmm. in tow. 
Everyone has described Sharon as sweet, kind, and generous. Photos linked on the website SharonPrior.com, maintained by her family, show a playful, blonde-haired girl with a shy smile and a warm, welcoming face. And we're looking at a photo of her. Yeah, it reminds me of Violet. Yeah. Who just turned 13 today. Just turned 13. Michelle McNamara wrote, quote, Sharon was a gentle girl, caring and responsible, like a little old lady, her mother laughs. <laughs> she loved animals and would take in strays, tending to them and nursing them back to health. The family was once given some turtles from the country and Sharon decided that they needed a proper place to thrive. Yvonne can still see her in the backyard, surrounded by turtles, building them a special turtle house. I would like turtles. The chocolate? That is one of my favorite. But no, also just, I've always liked the idea of having turtles. Just don't lick it, you'll get salmonella. Too late. From an article about the case on the Defrosting Cold Cases website, quote, According to her twin sisters, Doreen and Maureen, Sharon wanted to become a veterinarian. Jesus, also like pie. But I think a lot of uh, young kids want to be vets. Yeah. But, you know, I did too, yeah. but that was because my dad was a yeah, vet. Yeah, you had some, uh, you know, a direct line to said veterinary to, to vet world. Them. Yeah. yeah, vet them. <laughs> In one photo, Sharon can be seen wearing a graduation cap and gown. The producers of the Crave TV documentary asked Sharon's mother about the photo. At the time that it was taken... Yvonne was running a used clothing store Mm. where she gave out garments to people in need. Sharon, who was 13, spotted the outfit in the bin, put it on, and pretended to graduate as she (laughs) posed for Yvonne, snapping pictures outside their home. Look how adorable that is. Very adorable. Yvonne had no idea in that second that she would never get to see this moment repeated at Sharon's actual graduation. My guess is that she cherishes this picture very much. Oh my God, I can only imagine, yeah. Sharon was actively involved in the Boys and Girls Club through the YMCA as she entered her teens. She can be seen beaming from ear to ear in one photo, sitting at a kitchen table, her hand proudly atop the trophy she had earned playing floor hockey. It's just adorable. Yeah. Sharon was one of the most popular girls around the point. In the Crave TV show, her friends described her as the prettiest girl in their group. Although one said, jokingly, no, I don't think she was. But uh, <laughs> Jokingly? Yeah, it was like, hey, wait a minute. That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Her closest pals said she was very sweet, nice, and kind. They went on to say that the point was the best place to grow up and that it was a very close-knit community. Mm. Everyone looked out for one another. They said they felt safe there before Sharon was found murdered because nothing bad had ever happened there before. It's really, really something how such a terrible crime, how a murder can change the scope of a town. Yeah. Like it could, you know, such traumatic events like that can dramatically change how everybody feels and lives in a community. Totally. I didn't ever know anybody who was murdered or mm-hmm. anything like that in my hometown mm-hmm. um, until I later on in life, I there was a murder uh, of a person who I used to serve at the, mm-hmm. the store mm-hmm. that I worked in. But uh, 
it didn't affect me like it probably would have had I been a child when that happened. Yeah. Your yeah. wife went through that. She, yes. We talked uh, yeah, well, to her about that on one of our shows, yep. but definitely seems to have colored her experience of yep. her school life after that. Absolutely. You, you hear it over and over. You hear it from um, fellow uh, residents of, you know, whatever uh, city they live in that you often hear like, Oh yeah, no. After that, we all started locking our doors. We never did before. Uh, we made sure our kids, there was always somebody looking after the kids wouldn't let them like you. It, it just changes how, how a town operates. Yeah. And it's sad because it is only one event, but that the impact of that one event is often quite massive, especially if it's as tragic as this one. It just goes to show the impact of a trauma. We talked about it before. It's not just the the person. It's not just the one victim. No. You know, and then it, you've got the family, and then you've got the friends, and then you've got the neighbors. It spreads. The, the impact of a trauma just spreads widely. Michelle McNamara posted a brief excerpt from Sharon's diary written soon after her 16th birthday party, mm. just over a month before Sharon disappeared. In it, Sharon mentions her boyfriend, John, whom she had liked since the fourth grade. It really gives some insight into what was going on with Sharon at that moment and what kind of girl she was. Mm-hmm. Here it is, quote, They played and sang Sweet Sixteen and put mine and John's name into it. I was so embarrassed... And John was really embarrassed. <laughs> I think my mother's so good to me. End quote. I, the, there's nothing more embarrassing than having your love uh, broadcast uh, publicly in front of others. And when you're a teenager. When you're a teenager? Yeah, that's oh. just, you're just going to, oh my God. It's like your worst nightmare yeah. coming true. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. No. <laughs> I uh, can't wait to do that to my oh, kids. Oh, Yeah. I, I think we should mess with your kids to no end. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, that's going to be fun. The website SharonPrior.com gives a timeline written in the first person of her moments on March 29, 1975. This is the day she vanished. Mm-hmm. See our show notes for the link or go to SharonPrior.com. That's Sharon with two R's. Mm. S-H-A-R-R-O-N, Prior.com. Sharon got up that Saturday morning and had breakfast. She washed, dressed, and made her bed as usual. Yvonne went shopping to get extras that she needed for the Easter dinner. She also brought home chocolate eggs and goodies for the kids. Mm. I know, I'm all, I'm all about the chocolate eggs and the goodies. Yeah. Well, and also the Easter dinner. Just food in general, I'm, yeah. I'm all about. That afternoon, Sharon decided to make and paint Easter eggs for the younger boys. Jojo, Sharon's 11-year-old brother, and Stephen, a 4-year-old that the family was fostering at the time. Wow. And they were excited to go searching for Easter eggs on Easter Sunday. Who wouldn't be? I know my dad used to, like, hide them all over the place with a note. Mm Mm-hmm. If you found one thing, you would find a note leading to the next oh, next um, thing. Yeah, we we still do it with the kids. Although we're at the, we're getting pretty lazy about it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Just it's pretty much just like a pile of chocolate eggs on the floor. Yeah. Well, they're probably thinking like the twins, uh, Maureen and Doreen, who were fourteen at the time. They were a little too old for that tradition. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. You do, but you're still jazzed about candy. Yeah. Exactly. But Sharon wanted to. 
make a good Easter for the kids. Yeah. So she hard-boiled eight eggs, let them cool, and when Yvonne came home, she sat at the kitchen table and watched Sharon lovingly paint the eggs. Oh. Sharon sounds like a good egg, excuse the pun. Well, it's it's apt. Yeah. She really does. Sharon asked Yvonne if the paint would be dry by the morning, and Yvonne su- suggested that Sharon paint half the eggs in egg cups and then turn them over and finish them later when that half was dry. Mm-hmm. Um, Yvonne loved Easter because it means spring weather, blooming flowers, birds singing, children with skipping ropes, and paddle balls. You know, oh, pad- yeah, yeah. It took me a second in my noggin there. She used bolo bats as the... Uh, oh. As the... Uh, Utensil, the device. Oh, yeah, of instead of ball paddle balls, pad. she called them bolo bats. But uh, okay, yeah, whatever. I'm sure it worked. After Sharon finished painting half the Easter egg, she was off to pick up her Leo's Boys jacket at the Boys and Girls Club. Leo's Boys Sports Association was founded by Joe Mel, whose brother Leo had died at age 17 after battling leukemia. Well, you just answered my, what's a Leo boy's jacket? Well, that's why I put it in there. According to the Montreal Gazette, quote, there was a time in the point when you couldn't walk more than a few feet without running into a kid wearing a green jacket with Leo's boys on the crest. Leo's boys started out in 1952 with two teams and 30 kids, but at its peak had 110 teams with almost 1,000 kids participating in hockey, baseball, football, and boxing. Every one of those kids got a green Leo's Boys jacket, and none of it cost their families a penny. All the money for Leo's Boys was raised from donations and fundraising events in the community with kids required to sell raffle tickets, end quote. Oh, my heart. Well, Sharon... Had been who had been going to the club since she was six and now belonged to the teen center, really wanted one of those jackets. Yeah. So she had sold enough raffle tickets to finally earn herself one of these coveted coats. Mm-hmm. She asked Yvonne if she could take little Stephen, the four-year-old, with her. And uh, after getting her mom's permission, off they went, her foster brother there at her side. Oh, that's adorable. Uh, when she got to the club, she was disappointed to find out that they didn't have the jacket in her size. Mm. They promised it wouldn't be too long and gave her a receipt so that she could pick it up another day. Yeah. Always thinking of others, she thought, maybe ordering a smaller size for Stephen because he didn't have a spring coat to f- that fit him properly. <sighs> and also, being selfless, she took her friend's jacket and dropped it off on the way home. Oh, my God. What a good, like oh. I say, a good egg. Oh, I'm going to cry already. Sharon went home and continued painting Easter eggs. The family's reverend dropped by for a quick visit to say hello and wish them a happy Easter. He brought the kids a big box of chocolate turtles, just like Scott likes. <sighs> they sat around the kitchen table while Sharon painted the eggs. So everybody chatting around the table, like I can't picture anything more idyllic. I you, yeah, I just took the, you took the words right out of my. And I'll tell you, I could eat an entire box or two of those turtles. In oh, they're sitting. They're oh really, really good. Sharon asked Yvonne if there was a book in the house that she could read to little Stephen about the Easter Bunny. But before Yvonne could answer, the Reverend said, "Why don't you tell him how Easter really came about, Sharon?" And Sharon smiled and said that she would. The reverend soon left as it was almost supper time. Yvonne, her mother, the twins, Jojo, Stephen, Doug, 
Yvonne's friend, and Sharon sat down for supper. It was stew. Yvonne remembered that mm. none of the kids really liked stew. Oh, I love it. I, I didn't like it so much when I was a kid. My mom used to make stew all the time. It was so good. Yeah. Sharon ate a little anyway, but said she was really looking forward to the big turkey dinner next day. Mm-hmm. Of course, because I love a turkey dinner as this well. This is just all sounding so amazing, but uh, you just... like I, You know what's coming. Yeah, which just breaks my, my, my fading heart. Yeah. After supper, Sharon washed the dishes. Maureen and Doreen dried. There's a lot of pictures of them all together, mm-hmm. and Sharon will be the big sister kind of in between them and the other two girls are like bookends dressed in the exactly the same oh outfits. My God. Oh, it's, it's always so oh. cute. Sharon then placed the Easter eggs that she had finished painting on a shelf out of Stephen's reach so he wouldn't break them. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. Sharon told Yvonne she was going to go meet her girlfriends at Marina's Pizzeria, a local teen hangout only five blocks away at 2050 Wellington Street on the corner of Avenue Ash. There, they at at Marina's, the kids would talk about music, like Elton John, one of Sharon's favorite artists, and of course, they would talk about boys. Of course. Sharon asked, or Yvonne asked Sharon, is her boyfriend, was her boyfriend John going to be there? But Sharon said she wasn't really sure, but you know, she was just going to hang out with her yep. friends. It wasn't yep. super important whether he'd be there or not. These were big things to do in smaller towns mm-hmm. at that point in time. You're going to go hang out with your friends. You're going to go to a place and hang out with your For friends. For us, it was a, there were two arcades. Mm-hmm. One was called the oh. Crystal Ball okay. and the other one was called the Pinball Palace. Oh my God. Yeah. And they were both bad places. And I would always smell like smoke when I came home. Oh, my God. And my mother would say, are you smoking? And I would just say, no, everybody else is. But I was actually smoking. I, I, I didn't really have, like, it would be 7-Eleven for me. Oh, my they, friends, we'd, we'd go, we'd, we'd be those goofs hanging outside. The of, Yeah, hanging outside of 7-Eleven doing 7-Eleven things. Between 6 and 7 p.m., Sharon's girlfriend, a girl from the same block, came to the house and hung out as Sharon got ready to go out. Although they had been friends for a long time, the other girl didn't hang around with Sharon's high school friends, perhaps Mm -hmm. as they now both went to different schools. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens. The girls joked and giggled as Sharon kept changing tops, looking at herself in the mirror to make sure she looked okay. Because if you're going out with your friends, you want to make sure you're looking good and looking cute and, you know, comfortable and absolutely. None of the tops seemed to work. So Sharon borrowed a blue one from Yvonne. Story of my life. Sharon was a little worried about wearing her brown suede jacket because it was raining outside, but Yvonne said that it was just drizzling, so it should be fine. Mm -hmm. At around 7.10 p.m., Sharon left her home at 4.45 Rue de la Congregation in Pointe St. Charles. She said, goodbye, Mom. As she went out the door, Yvonne said goodbye and told her, as she always did with all her kids, be careful. As the neighborhood girl was about to head off home, she asked Sharon if she would like some company for the walk to Marina's. Sharon said kindly, no, thanks anyway, then crossed the street and went on her way. Sharon Pryor never made it to the pizza shop. And we will take a break right here. And we're back. Thoughts? Oh, man. 
What a way to go into a break. Uh, it's so terrifying. I, I, I know I've talked about my kids over and over. You can't help but relate to them as a parent. And, and, and I just am constantly thinking about, like, every day, you know, one of my kids wants to go in the playground. Like, okay, yeah, have fun, be careful. And just the thought that for for somebody... Like that, that was the last thing spoken to their children, said yeah. to their children, and, you know, it, cause it's just, you, oh, you're not, you would go crazy to be thinking every single time your kid goes out, that could be the last. Some it's people not, do. It, it, it's it's, just, and what an awful way to live. It, it, it absolutely is. And so it, you, so yeah. you become paranoid mm-hmm. and it just, those thoughts control your life. And control your child too. Like. A kid will grow up with no no sense of freedom and a lot of fear in their yeah. own lives. Yeah. Statistically, they're going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, they might get hurt, like fall and stuff like that. Yeah. But statistically, they're absolutely fine. Yeah. Uh, but for those few who have to live with this, mm-hmm. oh my God, just thinking about, okay, sweetheart, love you, be safe, and then that's it. Yeah. Oh. Sharon didn't show up at the restaurant. Her friends just assumed she'd gone to the Montreal Forum for a hockey game with John and the rest of the guys Mm. who they hung around with. When the boys came into the restaurant after the game, Sharon was not with them. Mm. They said they had not seen her at all that night. When Sharon didn't show up for curfew, Yvonne began to worry. This was not like her. Around 1.30 a.m., she watched out the window for her eldest daughter as the twins kept watch out the upstairs window. Sharon never came. Yvonne began calling around to see if anybody had seen Sharon. No one had. Sometime later, Yvonne's phone rang. It was Sharon's friend, Mary. Mary told Yvonne that she had heard that a woman had been attacked in the neighborhood around 7 o'clock the night before. Mm. The man had been startled by someone coming to the other woman's aid and he had taken off down an alleyway. As Sharon was still not home and would have been walking in that very area at that very time, Yvonne began to feel a sense of panic. No kidding. A search was organized for Sharon, and many residents of the point came out to look for the missing 16-year-old. Yvonne was interviewed in a TV news report pleading for Sharon's safe return. She did not come, and there was no sign of her. The days dragged by for Yvonne and the rest of the family and Sharon's friends. Yvonne told the producers of the Crave TV show, of the Crave TV series, that a couple of days later, at 6 a.m. in the morning, she saw a man knocking on the door of her friend who lived right across the street. Mm. He had a newspaper under his arm, and he was just looking around. Mm. Yvonne called out to him through the window, Ronnie, why are you up so early? Ronnie said, nothing, Yvonne, nothing, and kept knocking. Yvonne's gut told her something was really wrong. Oh, my God. So she ran downstairs and outside. Ronnie came across the street to meet her, and when she got close enough, she grabbed the newspaper from him and bolted back into the house and upstairs. She recalls Ronnie yelling after her, no, Yvonne, don't look at it, don't look at it. Oh, my God. Yvonne said, I had the newspaper, I opened it up, and there's a picture of my daughter. I knew it was her, I knew her shoes, I knew her shoes. 
It was in the newspaper, the Montreal Matin. What she was looking at was a photo of a body that had been found in the snow in Longueuil, a suburb across the river. So, the uh, just so I'm clear, it, it was a photo printed in the newspaper. In not the newspaper. like he, I thought for a second maybe he had another photo. No, no, it he, was a printed, a photo printed in the newspaper. So she's seeing a photo of her daughter's body mm-hmm. in the, oh my. She continued, that's how I saw it. Nobody came to speak with me. She phoned the police for confirmation. Oh. Yvonne was too distraught to go make the identification herself. She said she could hardly stand, so her brother went instead. It was Sharon. Oh my God, I would just be tearing a strip out of everybody, the police, the meat, like, oh my God, mm-hmm. what a goddamn way to have the news broken to you. It's irresponsible. It's disgusting. Right? It's disgusting. At no point in time did anybody think before we do this. To contact the mother contact of, the, the mom? of the little girl who everybody's did looking for? nobody think that? Did uh, the press, did they at least say to the officers, hey, have, does the mom know? Did the officers ever say, hey, is anybody like. I guess the answer is no. It's just egregious and disgusting. And I hope everybody involved was ashamed. I, who knows? Yeah. Sharon's friends had seen the photo too. They all knew who the body was. So here are these little girls, these young girls looking at the body of their friend. And that's the way they find out in My the newspaper. God. 15, 16 year old girls are My finding out their friend God. was murdered by a newspaper artist. By seeing their dead friend in a newspaper. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm pissed. Yeah. On Tuesday, April 1st, 1975, a Longay firefighter and beekeeper named Jacques Bertrand was notified that the lock on the gate to the apiary where he kept his bees was open. The gate was put in place to keep people from using the lot in the industrial area as a garbage dump. Upon arrival, Bertrand found the padlock hanging there, unlocked. He wasn't sure whether or not he had locked it when he left. He thought he had, but maybe he didn't. I can understand. Oh, shit, it's unlocked. Oh, did I forget to lock it? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. He went on into the access road to investigate. What he found was a young woman's body, nude from the waist down, laying in the snow about 75 feet from the road. Longay police responded and cordoned off the area starting their investigation There were tire tracks 15 feet from the body and footprints in the snow nearby. A blood trail led from where the car had been to the body, and there was a lack of drag marks. Police believe that the girl's body had been carried there by two people and that she was alive when they left her there. The girl was holding a branch in one hand, and her legs were bent in such a way that it appeared she had been trying to pull herself up. But she was too weak and had died soon after. Near the support post of the fence, the police took a footprint of a right foot. It was the foot of a man wearing a shoe size eight and a half and weighing about 200 pounds. The body was dressed in a suede coat, a blue sweater, socks and shoes. From Michelle McNamara's article, her jeans lay a few feet away. Her underwear hung from some nearby branches as if her killer tossed them from the car as an afterthought, end quote. 
The girl had been badly beaten about the face, and there were choke marks on her neck. Investigators found partially chewed tape entangled in the girl's bloody hair. They assumed that it may have been used to gag her. A man's shirt was also found, and it was assumed that that was used to bind the girl. A ring with the word love inscribed on it was also found there. Hmm. Not far from the body was a page from an English magazine with a photo of a young girl and a gun. It's unclear whether this was related to the crime. (sighs) The receipt for a Leo's boy's jacket was found at the scene with Sharon Mm -hmm. Pryor's name on it. Although not confirmed yet, they knew who this was. Yeah. Yeah, that's and good. yet they still did not contact her mom. Just, I'm just so. It's one. That's one of the more disgusting things. Mm-hmm. It's really. I don't know why it's really hitting me and resonating so hard with me, but it's really pissing me off. Yeah, really pissing me off. And I like. I'm curious, and I'm sure you'll get to it. Okay, uh, if the gate was unlocked, whomever did this must have had a key. If he didn't, if the firefighter beekeeper, maybe he actually did forget to lock it, and they nobody just, knows to this day that the answer to that question is not known. Really? Yeah. Because I mean, yeah, he might, he could have just forgot to unlock it. People are creatures of habit, and I suspect this uh, beekeeper. By I don't know why I'm assuming, but I would suspect that he's somebody who's got just this habit of putting the you know you you Who you knows? follow a routine. I don't know. I've done things absentmindedly before. For sure. What? No. Yeah. I was a security guard and I've left doors unlocked. Yeah. So for sure. It's, yeah. I'm just trying to think like, okay, a locked gate that was unlocked. Yeah. A pathologist at the scene placed Sharon's time of death only 20 hours prior to her discovery. Mm. This led investigators to conclude that she may have been held somewhere for days before she died. Oh my Jesus. Sharon had been brutally sexually assaulted and beaten before being left to die where she was found. She died of asphyxiation from blood pooling in her lungs. It was suspected that her killer had crushed her chest by kneeling on it. Some of the injuries on Sharon's face seemed to have come from someone striking her with something pointed, perhaps a ring. From defrostingcoldcases.com, quote, She had several bruises on her face and two fractures on her jaw on both sides of her mouth. Her nose was broken, and there was a hole in one cheek, probably caused by a tooth that was loosened during the struggle. I don't... End quote. Not, not that any of it makes sense to me, but why the fuck do you need to senselessly beat a person? Damn, well, damn near. If she ended up dying from the injury, so beat her to death. Yeah. I, I, but if you look at it, that is part of the thrill for these psychopaths it could also be a very strong sign of how fiercely she was fighting back and they he whoever it was felt that they needed to try to like stop her and beat her you know so i get that there's so many reasons uh, why a disgusting sack of shit like this may have done that but this poor girl nearly 200 mourners friends and family packed the chapel at St. Matthew's Presbyterian Church for Sharon's funeral on April 4th, 1975. Just broken people. Mm-hmm. With 200 people there at the funeral, uh, we see it time and time again. Uh, how I, I guarantee you that, that the killer was there. We see time and time again how that is the case. They, they show up all the time. 
They want to either gloat or... They just feel some connection to it, or they want to see others in pain. Yeah. If they're but, sadistic. But more, so many times we hear about how they show up to these things. And so it's just, it's just I don't know, there's just something so uncomfortable and creepy uh, about that thought. Mm-hmm. That these people are there to mourn. Right. They're feeling incredible pain because of something you did. But that's exactly why they typically go. Yeah. 13 months after the murder, Detective Sergeant Jacques Dutrisse said that police had interviewed 38 people. Six of these witnesses were detained, and each one of them appeared to be a good suspect in Mm. the crime at the time. Mm. But police had to release them when the interviews did not produce any useful evidence at all. Yvonne and her family have remained active in the search for Sharon's killer for the 45 years since this happened. Yvonne has been involved in assisting other Montreal mothers dealing with the homicides of their own daughters. Mm-hmm. There are many unsolved cases dating back to the time of Sharon's murder, leading many to speculate mm-hmm. one or more serial killers had been operating in the area. They also speculate that many of the cases are connected. In 2000, Yvonne wrote to police to ask them to look at DNA collected from samples in Sharon's homicide, mm-hmm. and they promised they would. A week later, though, Yvonne got a letter back in French. The gist of it, translated, said, We regret not being able to accede to your request for a DNA test. However, we will always keep the file open. If some new information is provided to us, we will analyze it and, if necessary, reopen the request. They had thrown out the DNA in 1995. Yvonne said she wept when she read this letter. 1995, DNA was an available science. It wasn't as mm-hmm. um, easily accessible and, and used as it is now. But it, I, I could see if it was 1982, mm-hmm. they got rid of it when DNA wasn't really a thing. And so... No, they kept it for all those years and tossed it. At the time when the technology was catching up or, yep. or caught up to being able to, to utilize... Yvonne pressed the Lungay police to look for Sharon's clothing, and sure enough, they still had it. So, thankfully. Mm-hmm. After more than four years of analysis, when the technology finally improved, as mm-hmm. we mentioned, DNA not belonging to Sharon Pryor oh. was found on the clothing she had been wearing. Oh, okay. In July 2004, on a tip that led police to execute a search warrant on a garage behind an apartment building on Favard Street... Mm-hmm. DNA samples were discovered there and taken away to be analyzed. Yvonne and family hoped against hope that this might lead to a break in the case, Mm -hmm. but the DNA did not match any of the samples from Sharon's crime scene, including her own. It was another dead end. But there's no clarification what that tip was, who it was about, any of that kind of thing, because the police, as it's still an open investigation here in Canada... Police will play that very close to the vest. So you you mentioned at the crime scene there was also a male shirt. Yep. There. I'm curious. They probably would, got DNA from that, or who knows? Uh, yeah, I, that's. I would be thinking that's a, a um, would be a very good that, likely that resource. Might, that may be one of the items that yeah. they've thrown away. Because it was Sharon's clothing that was left. That over. that well, yeah, that's where I was like I was hoping to also hear in shirt but uh, wow 
in April of 2012, there was an article titled Mother Hunts a Killer in the National Post. Mm. It quotes Yvonne speaking again of Sharon's murder and her desire to find the killer. It reads in part, quote, This week, police announced an anonymous donor has stepped forward to offer a $10,000 reward. Police also set up a fresh command post in Point St. Charles and set up a dedicated phone line. So mm-hmm. may- maybe there was some activity going mm-hmm. on, again, that mm-hmm. they're not telling anybody. I believe in my heart that someone somewhere knows something, Yvonne says. When people learn about how many hours and how much time she devotes to Sharon's case and all of the other families of other missing children she's in contact with, they'll sometimes ask why she doesn't just let it go. Mm-hmm especially after all these years. And she said, I even had a lady say, you have other children, but each of your children is special. All children are special. And my contact with these other families, the bond that we share as parents of these missing and murdered children is that we help to keep a spotlight on each other's cases, end quote. I'd be so insulted uh, by that question or if somebody were to bring that up, like move on. Yeah. Move on from the loss of a child. It's ridiculous. Like, how dare you? I would get extremely... I would be not above probably slapping that person. Well, it, it would be so difficult to, 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 to restrain yeah. yourself from that. Like, how dare you? Yeah. The attack on the other woman in the point became a really important lead in the case. Mm. The woman who was attacked was 23, 23-year-old Cheryl Roy. A man wielding a knife grabbed her, but before he could hurt Cheryl, another woman scared the man off, and he ran off down the alleyway. Mm. From defrosting cold cases, quote, he had blue eyes, and the mustache he had was squared at the corners of his mouth. He was dressed in blue jeans with cuffs, a dark blue ski jacket, and black shoes with pointed toes. Cheryl did not smell any signs of liquor on his breath, and he spoke in a low, calm voice. This was obviously his, not his first mm-hmm. attack. A local woman who was a girl at the time of the attack had been the one to assist Cheryl Roy that day. The producers of the Crave TV series had the woman hypnotized to try and remember more details of that day. Mm-hmm. Later, producers sent her photographs. One seemed to stand out. It was a photo of a Canadian serial killer we have yet to cover on this show. His name is William Patrick Fife, born on February 27, 1955. Fife, a former handyman, is a Canadian serial killer who has been convicted of killing five women in the Montreal area of Quebec. Hmm. Although he claims to have killed four others, he alleged that he killed his first victim in 1979 at the age of 24. He would have been 20 when Sharon was killed. We are unaware whether Fife's DNA has been compared to samples from Sharon's mm-hmm. murder case. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would have to imagine, like, why have the DNA at this point if you wouldn't compare? Right. I would assume that it has been, because if dark poutine is the ones that makes the cops think of William Fife, then... <laughs> then, then fire them all. They <laughs> really do need <laughs> to be fire fired. <laughs> so I, I, I would have to believe that they have tested it. Well, you would like to think I, that. I, I would like to. I am not assuming anything anymore uh, yeah, when it comes right? to what we talk about here. Yeah. Because time and time again, we are surprised. Yeah. Like, really? They didn't do that? Yeah. No, they didn't do that. Yeah. 
There have been a few other amateur investigators who have attempted to link Sharon's murder with that of others over the years. There have also been confessions. Oh. In Peter Edwards' book about the Satan's Choice Motorcycle Club in Montreal, the book is called Hard Road, there's a brief mention of Sharon's murder. Quote, One of the more frightening Montreal Satan's Choice members was Mike French, who was born in 1950. French, who was nicknamed Crazy Mike, was a product of the Queen's School in Lower Westmount and the Weardale House Boys' Home in West End, Montreal. The boys' home was closed in 1977. French was very active in the bikers' wars against the Popeyes. I guess that's another gang. Not not the chicken shop. No. He was found murdered in November 1982 in Ganawaki. He is said to have boasted about killing Sharon Pryor in Point St. Charles seven years before his death. Hmm. French's suspected killer was a hitman in the West End gang but the murder was never solved. The killing was considered by many to be, quote, a sort of a community service, end quote. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I get it. Yeah. In 2019, Yvonne was in the news again, still fighting for justice for Sharon. The article in the Montreal Gazette by Michelle Lalonde reads in part, quote, The families of nine young women who went missing or were found slain in the Montreal region decades ago are denouncing Public Security Minister Jean-Vievre Guibault for refusing to meet with them to discuss their proposed changes to the way police investigate major crimes. The article goes on to say they are upset that cold case DNA evidence was just tossed away by the police. They want that practice to cease. Yeah. Right? That's pretty common sense to me. Doesn't sound like rocket surgery. Yvonne Pryor said, I do not want this horrible incompetence to be experienced by other families in the future. That's what I want to say to Minister Guibault. But it won't be possible because she refuses to meet with us. What is this government that does not listen to the people? Holy shit. And Yvonne is not a young lady anymore. Yeah. You know, and she is still... Coming time after time after time to... And I absolutely want to take a a second to uh, praise Yvonne. Uh, You know, we've talked a lot about Sharon Mm -hmm. and how amazing this kid was. But the apple didn't fall far from the Exactly. That that she was a product of Yvonne. Of a great mom. Uh, And so uh, you can see it in how dedicated she is to still fighting Mm -hmm. for her daughter. Um, and, and she must have done a lot right yeah. to have, ha- to, to have formed such amazing kids. So, yeah. you know, just so much, um, love to Yvonne. Sharon's family and friends still want answers. Yeah. The bottom of the front page of SharonPrior.com reads, please, if you have any information relating to this case, please use the private mail function. Mail sent there can only be viewed by the site administrator. You can also send information to our private post office box at CP28550 CSP de Verdun in Verdun H4G3L7. If you would prefer to contact the police directly, please use the contact information below. The most insignificant information might help. And so the contact at the Longay Police is Detective Sergeant Stephanie Morin, Service de Police. Agglomeration de Longueuil, and the phone number is 450-463-7100, extension 3270. 
the $10,000 reward has been extended and is still current. So if you know anything at all, anything, please use the contact information we just mentioned or go to SharonPryor.com and do it there. Almost always somebody does know something. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily that my husband, my wife, my best friend. Even if you heard. But you, you... Somebody almost always suspects in an individual. Like, I, I watch a lot of, um, oh God, I can't remember the name of the true crime series. Um, but it's fantastic. It's on, I can tell you what it's not. It, Cops. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, that other uh, one that shut Live down. PD. Yeah, live yeah. PD. I, it, uh, it won't be either of those. No, no. It was, it, it's like, a, it's a true crime show where it's, uh, Family members of the killers talk, yeah. be it the wife, the husband, the brother, the sister. Yep. And oh, inevitably, you know, they say like at the time, no, I like, but I think back now and it's like, oh yeah. There were big yeah, red flags. There yeah. were big red flags. And so inevitably somebody. Isn't that show hosted by the, uh, the happy face killer's daughter? I don't know. I'm pretty certain it is. I can't remember what because the there is the there show. isn't for this show there isn't really a host you don't see mm. the the host you don't see the interviewer it's go. always just the uh, uh, but maybe uh, I'm thinking of a different show but yeah it sounds like a show I'd like to watch but uh, yeah at the end of the day somebody is going if we were to find out who the killer was somebody in that person's life would go oh, you know what I I kind of I totally knew my that. my my gut was telling me there was something on you know so even if you just so if you know if you think you know something call the number exactly in summation <laughs> Scott being concise no 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 um all right and that's it for this case holy crap <sighs> I'm a little ragey yeah. yeah but you know what um I. I think we should do some more unsolved because there's a lot. Yeah, and and, there, in our audience is large and growing. And if we can get it in front of more ears, get the cases in front of more ears. Yeah, uh, and you know, then then that's a a great thing. Yes. So I guess it's time for some voicemails. You can leave us one at 1-877-327-5786 or 1-877-DARKPTN. And if your call really stands out, we might play it on the show, maybe. But here's here's one from our friend from the Yumberyard, Emily Bianana's Uh from the Yumberyard. She promised to leave us one. Okay. So here's what she had to say. Oh, goodness. Hello, Mike and Scott. This is Emily B. Ananas from uh, Sweden, living in Denmark. You were talking about the phrase shit in your hat. And I came to think about the, the Swedish expression to shit in the blue cabinet and how it connects in so many ways. During the 19th century, the pigment Prussian blue was available to the masses due to mass production. And suddenly the poor people could paint their furniture as beautiful as the upper classes. So everybody had a blue cabinet, and in that blue cabinet you store your finer stuff like uh, fine linen, silver cutlery, and um, fine china, stuff like that. And to store your nut pot or take a dump in that cabinet will be a big no-no. This expression was usually used in the eastern part of Sweden until the 1980s, 
when a movie called Jöta Kanal hit through uh, Swedish television and movies. And uh, it was the actor Janne Lofa Karlsson that, uh, that uh, used that phrase. He ad-libbed a bit. And uh, then everybody in Sweden started using it. Anyway, Janne Lofa Karlsson uh, was a mediocre actor. He was not uh, very known like, uh, you know, the Skarsgård family. But he was a really, really, really good musician. And he had a band in the 60s called Hansson and Karlsson where Boo Hansson played the Hammond organ and uh, Janne Lofer Karlsson played the drums. They jammed a lot with Jimi Hendrix when he was in Sweden, actually, and they played starter band for him in Copenhagen in 67. And uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, used one of their songs called Tax Free, and he used it uh, as an opening act during 67 to 73 about. And, yeah, that was my story. I hope you liked it. Uh, and go sheet in your hat or in the blue cabinet, but that's a big no-no. <laughs> okay, that that was amazing. <laughs> that was I learned so much. I had to coax her into doing it because she was she was a little scared. She called yeah. a week a week prior. How do you think we feel, Rico? <laughs> right, and I think you did a fantastic job. That was amazing. And thank you so much for your support of our show. We just love you to bits, oh. and uh, you know what. Go shit in your blue cabinet. And, and the, the, my, it's my, I think the Swedish accent is my favorite. Do you think? I think so. Yeah, I really do. There's just something about it that is just fantastic. I do like it. Yeah. I, I like European accents all around. Oh, that voicemail though. That whole, like the, where I need like your Swedish history podcast. <laughs> Get on it. I would be binging the hell out of that. Oh goodness. Yeah. Jesus Christ. That was good. Here's one that's short, but sweet. Hey, Mike and Scott. Uh, my name's Ben. I'm 16. And I just want to say your show has changed my life a lot. You guys made me happy. Thanks for entertaining me on my walk. Love you guys. Go shit in your hat. <laughs> there you go. You that guys, was a nice one. I love how the translation, instead of go shit in your hat, it says, you guys got a shipment. You guys got a shipment. <laughs> yeah, we got a, we got a shit shipment from, uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh, interesting. That was real. That means a lot to hear that we've uh, had an impact on somebody's life. Yeah, that, well, there you go. I, I I struggle to comprehend how, but that's beautiful. Thank you. Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, there are worse things. For sure. You know, and I'm not shitting in our own hats here, Mike, but, you know, it's just... Uh, right. <laughs> I just... I. <laughs> <laughs> to to imagine or to to under to believe that my ramblings have changed have Man, done anything for anybody probably probably wasn't so much the rambling part that yeah well <laughs> they irritate the shit out of me though ah, well good I'm, I'm gonna intensify ramblings oh, then fudge. yeah you shouldn't have said anything I shouldn't have this one scared me a little hello Mike and Scott. It's the clown prince of crime coming all the way from Gotham. A little bird, or maybe a little bat, told me that you knuckleheads had a show. <laughs> I'd love to put a smile on your face and slay with a joke or two. After all, you can't smell slaughter without laughter. <laughs> oh, go shit in your hat, gentlemen. Ta-ta. <laughs> So apparently the Joker has given us a call all the way from Gotham City. Sounds like perhaps he was calling from the payphone in Arkham Asylum. Oh, <laughs> and once again, the translation on this uh, was just magic. 
Right. It, it's like it was. It's like it's translating a different call. Yeah. But man, that laugh. Yes. That was good. That was a good joke. That was good. Uh, a, somebody, a little birdie also told me that we might be getting a phone call from said joker. So I'm really glad that it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. That was really good. Um, call in anytime you like, joker. I don't uh, know if I'll sleep tonight. Right. But that was great. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was terrible. Am I? <laughs> yeah, your, your joker was. <laughs> no, Speaking that's... of Mark Hamill. Have you heard his Joker in the Batman cartoons? No. Oh, he's fantastic. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Mark yeah. Hamill does Batman. Yeah. Oh. Well. Does the Joker. That's what Batman. I said. Yes, what I No, you said Mark Hamill. Does. Well, I mean, you know, Joker, Batman, potato, potato. Yeah. Let's listen to another one. Uh, hopefully it's not the penguin. Hey, Mike is Dot. It's Jody from The Hammer Calling. I was new to podcast uh, about a year ago, and now I can't go anywhere without listening to them. I'm always happy when you have a new one. I'm trying really hard to not suck balls for too long, because maybe you'll play my call. But either way, I wanted to let you know that I think you have a fabulous show. I absolutely love it. And no matter how dark the topic is, you will always finish it off with a smile. And I'm usually laughing to myself when I'm walking. So keep up the great work. Keep being as respectful and kind as you are. You're a great guy. I feel like you're my buddy. And uh, I look forward to one-sided chatting with you every week. I tell you to take a shit in your hat, but it's pretty hot out now, not get messy. So have a great week. Love you guys. Well, thank you, Jody. That, so first off, I believe she said uh, suck balls. Yeah. Before, I don't want to, uh, like, the, yeah, you can't count on the translation. No, that, our translation software is terrible the, the, it, 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 it transcribes every every phone call and they're actually weirder than the phone call it's mind blowing yeah. it, it, according to this translation your name is Donna yep so so there you go Donna yeah uh, uh, but oh that was it's, Do- it's Donna and then it says it's Jody yeah Hi, it's Donna. It's Jody yeah yeah sure okay yeah but that yeah, thank you that, that was a great Voicemail. Another great voicemail. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, it is hot. <laughs> it is. It's sticky in this office yeah. right now. In so, Shat and Hat would get very... Oh, I can't uh, imagine. Would you, get, would, you would definitely need a bidet you'd, after, or you, even a shower. <laughs> there's no washing the hat. No. That's just a throwaway no, hat that, at that, that point. That's just a mess. Yeah, it's, it, you know, I don't care if it's a top hat. I don't care if it's a wool hat, if it's a toque. You're just, with this kind of heat, no, it's just, you throw that hat away. Yeah, but the Joker called us, so. That was cool. It really was. (laughs) (laughs) I think think mine was closer to Joker. Okay, all right. (laughs) It sounds like uh, something from one of those Rudolph cartoons, like the... You remember those old ones? Yeah, I do the claymation ones. Yeah, exactly, they're terrible. Yeah. Yeah, the Joker, exactly. That's who it sounded like. All right. Uh, yeah, that's it for voicemails. And like we said, um, if you leave us a good one at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N, we might play it on the show. We so, might. Yeah, we might. we might just. We'll do it. It's time for some Patreon shoutouts. Let's see if uh-huh. people still like us. Um, I'm pretty certain that uh, we have a few who still are are uh, enjoying what I we're hope, doing. I hope so. I hope so too. Because if I log on and see that zero, oh. if I see that, yeah, everybody's bailed. Sad face. Sad face. We suck. 
No, no, it was the economy. It was the economy. It's the economy. It was not us. Yeah. It's the economy. Yeah, well. Fucking economies. Darn economies. That'll teach him. Where do those economies get off? I don't know. All right. So first up, we have Emma Timmons Emma. from Port Hawkesbury, Nova Scotia. Oh, Port Hawkesbury. Port Hawkesbury. Never heard of it. What are you talking about? Well, that's right, because you're not from Nova Scotia. I'm not from Nova Scotia. What does she do in Port Hawkesbury? Oh, well, I just happen to know what she does in Port Hawkesbury. Mm-hmm. She she is a berry farmer. Oh. Yeah. Not what you think, though. Okay. It, she she has a farm, yeah. just chock full of people named Barry. Oh. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Good she, for her. Eh, she, she wrangles them. Wrangles, she's got, yeah, wrangles the dude. She's got Barry. a sheep herder dog who just wrangles all the berries. All when the berries. <laughs> Ralphie, get them. Get them, Ralphie. Get those berries. Round those just, berries up. Yep, and get them exactly, in the corral. Round the berries up. And, and it's just, you see the berry pandemonium. It's just like a they're corral just, full of berries? Yeah, they're running around like, oh, no, oh, no, it's a, oh, Ralphie's here. And then, you know, just, yeah, it's really, it's, it's hilarious. It accomplishes nothing. I am asking for help. <laughs> the job accomplishes nothing. Okay. She can't sell the berries. Hmm. You know, so I Yeah, well, because I know so I don't really understand why she why Emma does this. But she does. She just does it for the love of berry herding. <laughs> it's I mean, it's one hell of a passion. Uh next we have Sam. Yep. I don't know where Sam's from. I do. Where is he from? Bend. Bend, Bend Oregon? You got it. Hey, well, how about that? I've yep. been through there. Have you? Yeah, I have. And did you see uh, Sam? I didn't see Sam. No. No, I didn't know to look for him. Otherwise, I would have. Had I known that hmm. there was a Sam to look for in Bend, Oregon, yeah. I would have done it. You really should have. I, yeah, I should Sam's fantastic. And uh, so what does Sam do? Sam uh, is in control. You should smell how, Scott, how hard Scott's thinking right now. Sam manages. Yep. Surface-to-air missiles. Oh, good in Bend, good Oregon. Gosh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Sam is in charge of the <laughs> Sam missiles. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's just coincidence. So maybe that's why Sam didn't give his last name because he's remaining anonymous. Yeah. Well, or her. It. it, it, it I'm not making the decision, and uh, so yes, yeah, I can see the icon. It's a dude in the icon. Okay. So. Well, all right then, Sam. He. I mean, he's, he. He's, I presume it's a dude. He, <laughs> He put a lot of like schooling into this, like yep. surface to air missiles. They don't just give that to any old jockey. No, fair enough. No, you got you've got to you've got to have training. You've got to, your surface to air training, and then separately you got to do the missile training. You don't do them together. Oddly, you have to do them separately. But uh, Sam mm-hmm. is now the chief coordinating officer. Okay. Uh, of said Sam's. So there you go. Excellent. Yeah. Way to is. be concise again, Scott. Uh, it's what I do. Next we have Barbie Stratichuk, oh. and she is from Thorsby, Alberta. Wow. Yeah. Wow, Stratichuk. And what does she do in Thorsby? Strategizes in Stratichuk. Oh, well, there you she, So she's a strategist. She's a strategist. Yes. Nice. Yes. What does she strategize about? Oh, various things. Okay. You know, she doesn't. She doesn't like to. Uh, she likes to keep her keep op- beating that horse until yeah. it dies. Yeah, she likes to keep her <laughs> option like. She, you know, the jack of all trades, master of none. Sure, that's that's the focus. So, just okay. whatever strategies need to be strategized. Boom, she's, she's on there. It. She's just that it. kind yeah. of strategist. Very, very diverse. And we have another uh, person with Chuck in their last name. Oh, 
This is Gail Kowalchuk. Kowalchuk? I mm-hmm. wonder if any any relation to uh, the hockey player. He's Kowalchuk. Really? Do you yeah. think? I don't know. That's why well, I don't know where Gail's from. Oh. Well, it's a good thing I do. Where is she from? Um, Minnesota. Yeah, then, well, that might make sense. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Are, sure. You know, hockey there. Hockey There's the, some the, chucks there. Yep. Yeah, Minnesota North Stars, or is it the Wild? No, I don't know. What the hell are they? I don't even know. They're the Minnesota Wild, Scott. Yeah. Well, they should have been the North Stars, because that's originally what they were. And they went to Dallas. Oh. But I digress. I digress. You, you, it's something you do often. <laughs> uh, if you're wondering what she does. What does she do? She, uh, it's a great question. Oh so boy! Thankfully, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it. Yep. In just a few short seconds, mm-hmm. she is a she's a driving instructor. Oh, great! Yeah, great. yeah, yeah. It is great. Yeah, yeah. But only she teaches only Zamboni driving and in reverse. In in re- yeah, how do you, so you know her? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. She has YouTube videos. She does. They have like yeah. tens of hundreds of views. They're fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're popular in the Zamboni circles. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And next we have Michelle Ashley Kolich, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't want to mispronounce it and call her Colic That's because Colicky, you know. Well, yeah, you don't it want might, it. It might be correct, though. It might be. So Michelle Ashley is from my hometown, Whoa. Halifax, Nova Scotia. Whoa. How about them apples? How about them? My birth town, I Your should say. Your birth town. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was born there. Yeah. Born there. <laughs> born there? Yep. Uh, and so what does Michelle do in uh, Halifax? Halifax. Does uh, she work at the Metro Center? She prevents explosions. Well, that, that is yes. needed in that city. That's why they, they created the job. And they, they haven't had one ever since she's, she's been doing it. fucking amazing at it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, way to go, Michelle. Keep it up. Or as they say, good on you. Good on you. Back there. Yeah, good on you, Michelle. Yeah. Keeping them explosions down. That's some good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Next we have Jen Pruel. Oh, hi, Jen. And I don't know where Jen's from. Jen is from, uh, we were talking about it earlier. Sweden. Oh, she's from Sweden. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which part of Ornskulvik, where the uh, Sedins are from? Y- yes. Oh, wow. So- is she like a personal assistant to like Marcus Nasland or somebody? You would think so. Okay. No. She's a personal assistant to the chef. How did you know that's not what she does? What doesn't she do? That. Okay. <laughs> what <laughs> she, does she do then? Oh, what does she do? Uh, she She's in lawn maintenance. Oh, she maintains lawns. Yeah. Well, they, somebody's got to do it. They got a lot of lawns in Sweden. It was a yeah. good decision. It was a good call. I'm sure keep you busy exactly you know yeah next we have taylor charlton and i don't know where taylor's from oh taylor Mm -hmm. is from oslo oh norway yeah very close to see scott's creativity only goes so far it has to stay in scandinavia (laughs) once he's there (laughs) it's not my fault where that they live there okay i didn't write the okay rules of living fair enough yeah and so uh uh yeah yeah what does she do there? Oh, great question. In I'm, gl- I'm really glad you asked. Really glad you asked. She's a, a conflict uh, resolutioner. Okay. Yep. S- specifying an infant 
uh, conflict. So if there's like two oh, one-year-olds fighting, fighting, she's the one who comes. Does she kind of referees? She want you know like Brian. Let's talk about this. The tantrum, and she's like, oh. she, but she'll, she's just like, so, no. See, I was thinking of just giving them bats and just like go at it. That, sometimes that is what's required. <laughs> she tells me about those experiences. Mm-hmm. They don't end well. Well, that's but sad. sometimes that's what it that is. That's what needs to be done. But um, very rarely does her sessions end with uh, any resolution. There you go. Because you know she's not good at her job. Well, they're one year olds. Right. What the fuck they Yeah, they're not paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Next we have Cassandra Langdon. Oh. And she's from Oshawa, Ontario. Oshawa. The Schwa. As as my friend. (laughs) What a terrible name. As my friend Paul calls it, it, the Dirty Schwa. That is just the word. He's going to the Dirty Schwa. That is. Paul's also a radio, the radio guy who calls up Carol and says, panties. (laughs) As he should. Yeah, because that word bugs her. Yeah, and moist. Exactly. So, Cassandra, what does she do in the schwa? Oh, in the schwa, she is a bush wrangler. Oh, she wrangles bushes. Like George W. and (laughs) No. Oh, I thought we were going the same same way as we went before. No, no. They're actual bushes. But bushes don't move, so they don't require a lot of wrangling. In the schwa, they do. That's that's why she lives there. They're just just wandering around. It's exactly. They're called the wandering shrubs. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and so, yeah. No, well, they they move very slow. Mm. They move very slow. So it's very, you know, you've got to have a lot of patience. They're slinky. Well, I don't know if I'd call them slinky. Shifty, sure. Sure. Shifty, shifty okay. shrubs, shifty shrubs. Yeah, yeah. And so she just, you know, she wrangles them, make sure that they don't, they don't uh, go where they're not supposed to be. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's great. See, it's it really is. It really is it great. Really is. It really is. I'm happy about. <laughs> Thank it. you, Cassandra. Thank you. Next, we have Hellcatter. Whoa! And Hellcatter is from Bangor in Great Britain. Hellcatter. Yes. What a, I hope that's a real name. That's magical. Isn't that great? That's magical. And uh, I don't know what Hellcatter does. Hellcatter um, is, a, is a preacher. Oh, a preacher. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She was inspired by her first name. Is it a she or sure? No, I'm, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm absolutely not. Okay. I, um, but in my mind. Okay. She, Fair enough. So a, Hellcatter is a preacher. And what does the preacher do? Preach, what does pre- preach? Preach. But preach. Is preach. it a Christian preacher or is yeah, it? Yeah, a- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because of the first name mm-hmm. Hell that she was like, you know, everybody's going to assume I'm so, going to, I'm going to just run I bet rough you shot. The, I bet you the, uh, the specialty is cat exorcism. Yeah. Wow, you're reading my mind. I did read your mind. My right goodness, there, right? My goodness, kitty cat exorcism. Oh my goodness, my cats need exorcism at four in the morning. <laughs> Get the hell out of my bedroom. You need to exercise them from your room. <laughs> yeah, that's what he, that's what happened this morning. <laughs> uh, Donner got a bit of exorcism. Oh. He gets gently exercised. We don't, we don't angrily exercise. The you cats. don't want to angrily exercise. No, because anything. I don't want to scare him. He's, no. he's the kind of kitty who, if you scare him, he would just never come around you again. So yeah. I gently exercise him what? from the door and then put him on the other side of it. You're good like that. <laughs> Apparently. 
Next we have Sheila Rowe. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, she's uh, she hasn't given a mailing address, so I'm not where, sure where she's from. Oh, 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 really? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, um, Dusseldorf. Oh, Dusseldorf in Germany. Yep. Are you sure it's not Dusseldorf in uh, Pittsburgh? In Pittsburgh. No, it's not. The it's not the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh neighborhood. Dusseldorf. Yeah, it's not the Pittsburgh oh, okay. Dusseldorf. Well, there you go. So, what does she do in Dusseldorf, Germany? As one would do in Dusseldorf, Germany, she is I'm a cringing strudel maker. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I love strudel. Who doesn't? Toaster strudel, especially. Is the oh, only. yeah. Have you ever had? I don't know. Oh, you should. If it has sugar, I've probably had it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that's what that's what Sheila does. There you go. Yeah, she she makes, uh, uh, what did I say she makes? Uh, Strudel. Strudels, and yes. Dusseldorf. And Dusseldorf. Yeah. And, oh, they're delicious. Send us some, Sheila. Send us some of your, your strudels because we would like to devour them. And here we have a good friend of ours, uh, Cheryl Higgins. Hey, Cheryl Higgins. And she's from Truro Heights, Nova Scotia. Oh, Wow. Do you recognize the name? I do. Yeah, there you go. Because yeah. we spoke to her. We, yeah, for the... Uh, yeah, uh, was a rough time. Yeah. Well, thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. And so I know that you're a teacher. Yeah. So she is nice. She is a kind. Cheryl is very nice. She is a kind face. I've had good conversations with her. She yeah. is a, she's a good egg, as they say. So, yeah. So this was a time, the only time ever that I've actually known the persons <laughs> yeah where they lived yeah and what they do which is just unusual yeah because that's my bag uh and lastly as far as patreons go we have jessica rains from brandon mississippi wow yeah wow and what does she do in mississippi rain catcher she catches rain yep yep and how do you think one would do that with a bucket yeah lots of running around yeah. Yeah. Mm. Just trying to catch each other. Like every draw. Yeah, it tries to. Try Especially it. when goal. it's really wet and, and humid. That's the goal. The goal is you want to try to get every That's drop. a lot of rain to catch. I know, with a fucking bucket. Is it a big bucket, though? It's not, actually. Oh, God. It's not. It's it's not a she job. Should, she should ask for an upgrade. Oh, she should find a new job, really. Yeah, it's not a good I job. I mean, yeah, and it doesn't even pay well. <laughs> like, it's just, there's no pros to this, really. Ah, well. But hey, you know, who am I to? Right. I just, you know, I'm just some podcast guy. And uh, okay, let's move on to Donut Money. This week, Irene uh, Irene Briand again. Thank you very much, Irene. Uh, Thank you, Irene. And and, uh, we know that Irene is a a monkey wrangler. Yeah. uh, In, um, oh, it's somewhere in Peru. I thought it was. Yeah, forget. Yeah, I do yeah. too. And Sally Norris, of course, related to Chuck Norris. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We and just, again, she sends uh, more donut money with wow. two donuts saying many thanks, always Sally N. And Sally. I was chatting with her the other day, so she's wow. she's quite nice. Clearly. And then we have some donut money from Courtney Palmer. Wow. Thank you guys, you, Courtney. She says, you guys make me so happy. I love listening to the podcast and ending the heavy episode with Scott's crazy antics. Wait a minute, aren't aren't my antics crazy? I, I'm, I'm all I'm doing is speaking facts. Well, it's true. There's nothing crazy about what I'm doing. I'm just speaking facts. And she says here, I mean, his highly truthful stories. There we go. So she recognizes. 
Wink, you guys. Okay, she, well, thank you very much, Courtney. She recognizes. She she is. As they say in the streets, Mike, game recognize game. Yeah. And then she says, you guys have mastered giving all of the facts, even the uncomfortable, especially dark ones, with care and compassion and a dash of humor sprinkled in where appropriate. Get some Timmy's tea on me until my first Patreon comes in. Keep it up, gents. Wow. Thanks, oh, Courtney. Courtney, that's really kind. Little two, two little black hearts, yeah. just like ours. Dead and black. Cold, black, dead hearts. <laughs> Somebody keep beating. Well, there you go, for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't died yet. Uh, knock on wood. Yeah. Well, Sol- is this solid oak? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, like particle board. <laughs> So uh, thank you so much to our patrons and donut money donators, past and present. We really appreciate your support of the show. If you want to help support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash dark poutine. Or for a one-time support, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already, it would mean a lot to us if you've subscribed to the show. You can easily find us on iTunes podcast, Stitcher, Tune in Spotify or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out darkpoutine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. And before we go, we have a promo this week. Oh. <clears throat> And I have to find the promo. Make sure, make sure you're, you are all be donators. Don't be don't haters. <laughs> get it? Don't haters? Yeah, I get it because it like, sounds like donators. Okay. But it's not. It's don't haters. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Oh. I just came up with that. Yeah, it's, it's very bad. I just Scott. came up with that. And, and people are going to love it. People are probably not going to love it very much. It's going to catch on. Everybody's going to say, don't be a hater. Be a donator. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Slogans galore. (laughs) So here is our promo this week, and it is from our friends at the Bloody Murder Podcast. Bloody Murder. Yeah, let's hear what they have to say. Better be Bloody Murder. Is listening to true crime podcasts all the time getting you down, but you just can't stop? Try listening to Bloody Murder. We're an Australian comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser-known murder cases from Australia and around the globe. We use black comedy as a means to tell horrifying true crime stories. But our humour is respectful and never at the expense of victims or their loved ones. We get straight into the case with no banter or chit-chat beforehand. That's because the podcast is about true crime, not our most recent manicure. But this frosted French salmon is such a great colour on me. Hmm, is it? Our fresh, well-researched episodes are released every Monday. Bloody Murder has been nominated for four Australian Podcast Awards. We've been going for over three years now. So we have loads of episodes for you to binge. You can listen to Bloody Murder on Spotify and any of your favourite podcatchers. Well, thank you, folks. That's awesome. It's bloody murder. <laughs> it's bloody, mu- bloody murder. Hello, nice lady and nice man. <laughs> it's I, uh, bloody murder. <laughs> in your water box and <laughs> doing things. So make sure you go over to the Bloody Murder podcast. You hear yeah. me? Yeah. Did you read you? 
<laughs> you know what to do with your didgeridoo. Put it in your koala. <laughs> anyway, until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.